This week's parsha is parsha Vayechi. In Parak Memches Pasuk Chaf, famous Pasuk, Yaakov Avinu tells Yosef, Becha Yevarech Yisrael Lemar, Yisimcha Lekim Kefrayim Mchemenashe. That Klau Yisrael will always bless their children by saying, HaKadosh Baruch Hu should make you like Ephraim and Menashe. A parent benches his child and wishes that his child grow up to be like Ephraim and like Menashe. If you look in the Targum Yainasan, the Targum Yainasan says, Becha Yivarech Yisrael B'yayma Demeholta. When is this blessing bestowed upon a child? That Yisimcha Elohim Ke'afrayim Lecha on the day of his milah, on the day that a child is gemalt, on the day that you are zeichet to bring a child into the brisai Shalavram Avinu, that's the day that Klal Yisrael is going to bench their children saying Yisimcha Elohim Ke'afrayim Lecha And it's a little strange, or it's Sarachian, why exactly in the Yayma de Meholta, why on the day that the Milah is performed, is that the chosen day of the blessing of a child becoming like Ephraim and Menashe? Many of the Mepharshim speak about this. Ayin, Ksav Seifer, Rav Schwab speaks about it, as well as others. But I'd like to perhaps offer a novel explanation based on something that I saw from Ramesha Feinstein about a more general question on this pasuk. Why should a child have to be blessed to be like Ephraim and Menashe? Yisimcha lekimke Ephraim and Menashe. That's like Ephraim and Menashe are beyond giants. They were huge. Ephraim and Menashe were one of the two greatest people ever to live. Wouldn't it be enough for a father to bench his child that he should be like the rub of his local community, to be like a Rosh Hashiva in, you know, in our times? There are many very Chashiva Gedalim today living. There's many Chashiva Tzadikim living. There are many Rabbonim, many Tamidachachamim. Why do you have to like say Yisimcha Lekim Kefraim Menashe? Let's be a little bit more realistic. Why, had, why do you have to make it such a grandiose bracha? Wouldn't it be enough? Wouldn't it suffice just to say, be like one of the gainim that live more closely to your times? When, if I, you know, if I want to tell a kid, you know, that he should, uh, you know, he should be good in math. So do I say, you know, you should be like Albert Einstein or, uh, you know, some genius. Like, just say, you know, be like your teacher. Be as good as your, as your professor in math. You don't have to be like the greatest scientist, the greatest mathematician in the world. You could just be good. And Ramesha says a terrace that I think we all understand and perhaps we're all thinking that when it comes to Tyra, a person is never, ever supposed to be mistapik b'muot. In Musar, there are many times that, 
you know, we're encouraged to be mistapic b'muetz when it comes to gashmias. You're not supposed to be like so materialistic. You're not supposed to always like crave to have, to be a billionaire. Should be enough. Whatever you're making, you should be happy with it. Make do with what you have. Live within your means. These are all very familiar concepts to us. And a person might mistakenly believe that we should also settle for moderation and mediocrity when it comes to Tyre, when it comes to Ruchnius. But that's not so. When a person is setting out on his journey in life, in a Ruchniistic world, in the sphere of spirituality, a person never, ever, ever may be mistopic b'murth. A person always has to shoot for the absolute maximum. And so when we bench our children, we don't say, you know what, it's good enough if you're like your Rebbe. It's good enough if you're like your Rosh Hashiva. You have to be Ephraim and Menashe, no less. No less than them. Don't settle for anything less. And then hopefully if you strive for such greatness, then you'll hopefully be as great as you could possibly be. But if we set the bar very low, then he's never going to pass that bar. It's only when you set your sights sky high, Ephraim and Menashe, is there hope for this child to become something great. It's known that the Altaf and Sabotka, who was, I think, and I, I, maybe I've heard this from a of mine, that the Altaf and Sabotka was the greatest Marbitz Maybe ever. That's a big statement. But at least in the last few hundred years, the Altavan Sabotka was huge. The Altavan Sabotka, you know, is responsible probably for all the Torah that's being learned in this generation, at least in the Ilam of Ashkenazim. He's the Rosh Hashiva and the Mashpia and the Molder of men who founded Lakewood, Panovich, Chaim Berlin, Baltimore, and many, many other yeshivas, all, many of them come from the altar. Tarvidas, Rabbi Al-Kamnesi, Chavitz Chaim, the list goes on and on. All of the great Rosh Hashivas, Kimat, came from Slabotka and were, were molded by this great mechanic, this brilliant educator, who himself was the G'dayle, from the G'dayle Musar and also from the great Rosh Hashivas, he was brilliant. He said about himself that when I was setting out on my journey in life, I set for myself a goal that I wanted to be the Vilna Gaim, which is, you know, that's a, a dream, to be the Vilna Gaim. The Vilna Gaim, you know, we don't have any measuring stick to measure the greatness of the Vilna Gaim. The Vilna Gaim is our Messiah, he's the entire Messiah of Tereshavah Petadeh, and the Vilna Gain was a Baki, Bechal Chajay he knew everything, Nigla, Nisper, everything. The author says, that was my role model, he was my dream, he was the, you know, he was who I was looking to emulate, that's where I set my sights. I was constantly thinking, I want to be the Vilna Gain. And he said, I never became the Vilna Gain, of course, but had I not tried to become the Vilna Gain, I never would have become who I am. And that's, I think, where Meisha is var. Meisha is saying, you have to set your sights as high as possible. Because then you have a chance of really, really being able to be amazingly great.
And if we don't, if we're just happy being, you know, a little better than our chavrusa, then that's all we'll be. We'll never be able to really elevate ourselves to new levels in learning and in asagas. And that being true, I think we can explain the Targum Yenison that the day that we bench our child saying is the day of the Mila. Why? What's so significant about the day of the Mila? The Ayla Safrayim, which is brought in the Tshuva Sirbikiv Eger, the Ayla Safrayim was the Kliyakar. And if you look in the Tshuva Sirbikiv Eger in Simon Membe's, he brings that the Mila is very significant to a, to a baby's development. A baby, before he has a Mila, all of this Sharim of Tyra, all of the gateways of Tyra, of Havanas HaTyra, are Stumim. They are locked and sealed. It's not possible for you to really comprehend Tyra in a deep and meaningful fashion. Only when a baby is Gemalt, on the day of his Mila, says the Ayla Sephraim, is his Chadre Libai, the rooms of his heart, opened to understand and to comprehend the Taira. And the Mila, he says, is the Mavai Lashari Taira, the entranceway to get into the gateways of Taira. How do you enter into the gateways of Taira? What I'm speaking about is, I know that any person can today open up any safer and read it in English. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the ability for a person to have a mind that's able to be really comprehending the words of, of Shas, of Mepharshim, of Chumash, with, with, with the commentators, with a depth, with an analysis, with being able to be Mechadish in Taira. Where does a child get that from? How does a, a young boy or a teenager or, a, or an adult man or, a, or an old man, where does he get the ability to be able to understand the holy words of Taira with his human mind? The Taira is not just a subject. The Taira is Kaddish Vitar, beyond our wildest imagination. How do we have the ability to understand Taira deeply? That only comes on the day of the Mila. The day of the Mila is when all of the floodgates open, and now we're able to have the ability to somehow understand the Taira Kedesha. There is a Medrash that's brought in the Dasakani Bali Taisis at the beginning of Parashas Mishpatim, Ein Divrei Taira Miskaimen Ela Benima. You can't keep the Taira. You can't understand Taira unless you're Gemalt. You need a Mila. Mila, for some reason, able, enables a person to understand the Taira. Ripam, by the way, says that that's why we say, Kishem Shenichnas Labris, Kaini Kanesh Taira. The same way that I entered into the bris, entering into the bris is really what we're doing when we're entering a child into the bris is we're putting him on the doorstep of Tyra. We're enabling him to be, to give it, we give him a ticket to enter into the world of Tyra. Keshem shenichnas labris, you entered into that framework of Tyra. Don't stop here. Can you kanes Tyra? Now you have to use that ticket and go deeper and utilize the kayach of Habanes HaTayra to become a Tamil Chacham.
If you look in in the Siddur by Bris Mila, so there's a tefillah that the father of the baby says, I don't know how many actually say it because it's not part of the ceremony, but it is brought in, in the Arts Girl Siddurim, they bring it, that there's a lush in there where, that a father, and the male also, I believe, davens for the future development of this child. And he says that a Baruch Hu should give the baby a lave pasuach ke'ulam, that he should have a heart that's as open as an ulam. An ulam is like a stadium, like a huge, if you can imagine, you know, like by the Siyam HaShas, whoever was there, be by the Siyam HaShas in MetLife Stadium, a massive field with thousands and thousands and 90,000 seats, a huge place. That's how this baby's heart should be. It should be pasuach ulam to understand Tyra. Now, that's a feel that we're giving this baby. Who is this said about? Who in the world of Tayr Shabal Peh had a, le- a label as Pasuach Ke'ulam? Chazal say Rabbi Akiva had this. The great Rabbi Akiva. And if you think, okay, maybe Rabbi Akiva and everybody else had it, it's not true. Even the great, the holy Abayi and Rabba said about themselves that their hearts was open if you would take a pin and you would be able to puncture, let's say, a piece of paper, that little hole that was that came from that piercing of a pin, that's what Abayi and Rabbi held was there, was the opening in their heart to Tyra. Contrast that to MetLife Stadium, Rabbi Akiva's, you know, grand lave that was open to Ulam. I heard from Rav Steinberg Shlita, who is uh, the married Aster in Young Israel of Queens Valley. He said that once her palm came to a bris in Young Israel of Queens Valley many, many years ago. And he said, he, they asked him to speak, and he said, Why by the bris are we asking Hakarishvaru that the baby should have a laid pasuach to Ulam? That's Rabbi Kiva. You basically like went over Abayan Rabba's head, and now you're going for Rabbi Akiva like. Rabbi Akiva, this baby becoming like Rabbi Akiva, what are the chances of a baby in America, circa 2015, that going to have a baby, going to have a, a, a label like Rabbi Akiva, that's Pasuk Kulam? And Rapam says, like Ramesha, he says, that's exactly what we have to expect from any baby. We have to set our sights as wildly high as we can. Because if we do that, then we can hope that the baby can vaccise, can develop into a real Tamil Chacham. If we settle on too low a bar, if we say, all right, it's enough to just be this way, enough to, let's not push it, then we can never expect more than that from the baby. On the day of the Mila, when this is the time to dive into the Rabbeinu Shalom as the baby is entering the world of Tyra. As all the potential is now here, the door is unlocked for him. We have to now on this day say, This is the day that we have to make plans for this child. What is he going to be? What are we expecting of him? And if we expect greatness, as great as can be, then we have the Tfila at least, that he could become this way, that his tfila, that his heart could be pasuach ulam. 
And this is the significance of a baby in his earliest stages of development. Never sell a child short. Never say for a second, it's not happening anyway. A person has to always dream very, very big when it comes to his children. There's a Gemara in Brachas on Daflam and Allah from Abayz that Hannah davened. She davened for a baby. We know she was desperate to have a child. And she davened in her famous Philo. She says, When Asato la Masecha Zera Anoshim. I want that my baby should be Zera Anoshim. Like men, two men. Chazal say in Brachas, Amar of Yechanan, Zera Sheshokol Kishne Anoshim. I want this child to be able to be like two men. Who are the two men? Uman inun Aaron. Aaron, I want my son Shmuel when he's born to be like Meshav and Aaron. That's where she set her sights. And you know what? It happened. Chazal say Meshav Aaron b'chayanov. We're going to say tonight in in Kabbalah Shabbos Meshav Aaron b'chayanov u'shmuel b'karishemay. From here we learn that Shmuel ended up being Shokel Kim Meshav Aaron. You can imagine that. A child that's not only like Meshav, but like Meshav and Aaron combined. You know why that happened? Because Hannah didn't settle for anything less. She davened for it, and it happened. She davened that she should have a child that's Zerah and Nashim, Meshav and Aaron, and she got it. Let's say she had said, you know, I wish that my son should be like as great as, you know, somebody less. Her son would have never become Meisha and Aaron. It's only because this is where she set her goal that she was able to achieve that. In Yerudea, in Pei Aleph, Sif Zion, the Ramah writes that if a baby has to be nursed by a non-Jewish woman. Let's say a mother, for whatever reason, cannot nurse a child, and we have to outsource the, the feeding of a child. So there are more paskins that chol of mitzvahs kechol of Yisraelis. It's okay, you can even use a non-Jewish wet nurse. You're allowed to use a, a, a woman who's not Jewish. Umikol makim, says the Ramah, it's better not to. If it's possible to use a Jewish woman, it's better to use a Jewish woman. Why? If you suck from the milk of a, of a non-Jewish woman, it's metamtim aleib, it dulls the heart, it makes the heart less ruchniistic, and it gives the baby a bad nature inside of him. If you look in the Bir Hagra on that halacha and Shulchan Aruch, the Bir Hagra says, B'Shem the Rashba, that the Makar of this Ramah is from a Chazal. Chazal say that Moshe Rabbeinu, when he was born, and Basia Baspara, he found him in that basket, and she wanted to feed him, so she took him to Egyptian women, and he wouldn't suck from them. He would not nurse from them. Only once he took she gave him to a Jewish woman, did he suck? So we see from here, this is the Makar, says the Rashba, the Biragra quotes the Rashba saying, this is the Makar for this, for this Ramah, that you should not go, if you can, if you can help it, yeah, oh fine, but if you can, if you can help it, it's preferable to use 
a Jewish woman than a mitzvah woman. From Meish Rabbeinu. Now, Chazal say the reason why Meish Rabbeinu refused to drink from a mitzvah was because a pesh, a mouth that in the future is going to talk with the shechina. Meish Rabbeinu converse pal pal dabrebay. It doesn't pass for such a mouth to suck from, uh, from, from the chalav of mitzvahs. That's what the makar for, the, for this halacha and Ramah is. Rector Yaakov Kamenetsky, an emissary Yaakov, says, what are we doing here? We're applying a halacha that was unique to Meish Rabbeinu. Meish Rabbeinu was Asva Dabre Mashtina. I don't know anyone else, to my knowledge, in this generation that's being Medabre Mashtina, but yet the Ramah is paskening even for our generation that a child should not be able to, he shouldn't be Yainik from a mitzvah because because of Meish Rabbeinu. Because Meish didn't do it, so he shouldn't do it. What's the shaykhah between Meish Rabbeinu and a baby born today? Meish Rabbeinu was taka asl dabri mashchina. A baby today is going to be medabri mashchina. Zokter b'yad kamenetzki? Maybe. How do you know that he's not? Until you can prove to me that he's not, then this halacha doesn't apply. Meaning that every child has to be raised with great, great goals in mind. We have to raise him to be Meisha, to be Meisha Aaron. We have to raise him to be Rabbi Akiva. We have to raise him to be Ephraim and Menashe. That's the way a Jewish parent looks at a child. You don't look at him and, well, you know, I'm this good, so maybe, you know, I don't want him to be maybe better than me. Maybe he could be like me. Maybe he could be, you know, a little bit better than me. But I don't know if I'm going to ever be able to raise a child like who knows who. It's enough. Let him just be like, like the family. You know, let him be like his father, like his uncle, like his this. Why do I have to make a, you know, a Meishu Rabbeinu in my family? Is it Shayach too? And we see from all of these Makairas that that's where we're supposed to shoot for. We have to set our goals not just high, but impossibly high, if we really want to be able to create a child who is a Yari Vishalim. And the Rambam says in Ilchus Chuva, in Parakei Alocha Beis, the Rambam says, Al Yavar. Don't let it enter your mind what foolish people say, Jews, non-Jews alike. There are people that are convinced that a person is already predestined from birth to be either a good guy or a bad guy. And if I feel that my teva is ra, I'm going to party my whole life. I'm going to go in that direction. If you're a tzaddik, be a tzaddik. But if you already feel like an etil ra, then you're already a lost cause. He says, don't say that. Don't ever think that. Ain't adav Cain, It's not true. Ela kol adam roi loy liyay tzaddik ke meisher rabbeinu, says the Rambam. Every single person could be a tzaddik like meisher rabbeinu. It's a very famous Rambam. A person could be Meshach Rabbeinu. A person could literally become Meshach of the Rambam. Rambam holds that a person has the ability to be Meshach Rabbeinu. You know, if anyone happened to see my, the sefer that I just put out for Art Scroll called Great Jewish Wisdom, I have a, 
like many quotes in there from from Gedalim, Gedalim, you know, Lita, Gedalim, Hasidos, Rishayim. So one of the quotes, and it's a very famous quote, is from Rabzusha Manapoli. Rabzusha Manapoli says, "I'm not afraid when I get up to Shemayim that they're going to ask me why I wasn't Moshe." Or why wasn't David HaMelech? He says, I'll give them an answer. Because I, I wasn't Meshach and I wasn't David HaMelech. That's not what I'm afraid of. He says, what am I, what am I afraid of? I'm afraid that they're going to ask me in Shemaim, why weren't you Zusha? And then what am I going to say? When they ask me why I wasn't Zusha, you know, meaning I could have been Zusha and I wasn't Zusha, that's what's scary to me. I'm not scared about why I wasn't Meshach, why I wasn't David HaMelech. I'm not Meshach and David. What do you want from my life? They once told this quote to, I don't think it was from my safer they showed, but some, somebody told this to Reb Chaim Kanievsky. And, you know, they wanted, sometimes like people, there's svarim that, like people just throw these things at Reb Chaim Kanievsky and see how he feels it. You know, like, ah, what's, what's the Dastair reaction to these, these concepts, these Devetire, these Verloch? So Reb Chaim says, it's very nice, it sounds good, he says, but it's not true. Why is it not true? He says, because it's going against this Rambam. The Rambam says that there is an expectation for every person to be Meshur Rabbeinu. You think in Shemaim they're not going to ask you why you weren't Meshur Rabbeinu? You're wrong. They will ask you why you weren't Meshur Rabbeinu. You should be afraid not only why they didn't ask you why you're not Zusha, but you should, you should be afraid why you weren't Meshur Rabbeinu. You could be Meshur Rabbeinu. Now, Obviously, says Rebbe Chan Vassaman, it doesn't mean that I could literally be Meishu Rabbeinu. Meishu Rabbeinu was Meishu Rabbeinu. Meishu Rabbeinu was the Ava Nevi'im. Meishu Rabbeinu was, you know, Achad, you know, not B'dayrei, but Achad B'chala Eilam. There was never a Meishu Rabbeinu. Like, come, Eid, Nabi, Kameisha. It's not Shayach to even think about being Meishu Rabbeinu. But Rebbe Chanan says that what the Rambam means is that just like Meshra Rabbeinu was able to utilize all of his Teiches HaNefesh to become as great as he was, so that's how we have to be like Meshra Rabbeinu in our own potential. We know that there are people in this room, you look around the room, in you know, there are people of varying degrees of intelligence, various, varying degrees of of brilliance, maybe, of Amkos, of Bikios. Everybody has their own specialties, their own advantages, their own limitations. So it's not Shaykh to say every single person could be, let's say, you know, every single person should be the Vilna Gain. It's not possible. The Vilna Gain is the Vilna Gain. Vilna Gain was brilliant in, in, you know, time, you know, to the hundredth hour, to the billionth hour. The Vilna Gain. We don't, we can't, if we would learn a, a million years, we wouldn't know Akusa Shalyud of what the Vilna Gain knew. But what we mean to say is that we have, each of us, the potential to be Meshur Rabbeinu in the way that Meshur Rabbeinu became Meshur Rabbeinu. Meshur Rabbeinu didn't become Meshur Rabbeinu because he just, you know, he was smart and he happened to have good leadership skills and that made him Meshur Rabbeinu, but he, he just coasted. Meshur Rabbeinu was able to squeeze out every ounce of Kishrin, every ounce of potential that he had to become how great he was. That's what made Meish Rabbeinu so special. And so we also, each person with his own potential, with his own unique mailas, talents, skills, creativity, 
ambition, could be Meishu Rabbeinu in our own way. That's the bracha that we're giving our children. We're not saying that literally he's going to be Ephraim, Menashe, Meishu, Aaron, Rabbi Akiva. But in our own, in the child's own way, we have to try to develop everything that the child has and make him as great as possible. That's the job of a, of a parent. To see in a child the greatness that he has and try to maximize that greatness. And to do that, we have to use like role models that are beyond our expectations. And then we could start being able to have a focus for how to be mechanic the children. Rav Hutner used to say that children are like a second edition of a Sefer. What that means is that if you're ever Zaycha Mirza Hashem to publish a Sefer, you'll see that the first edition of a Sefer is like very frustrating in the sense that you look through it, first you write it, you're Mechadish, you go through it really well. And then you have, you know, you, you hazard over a hundred times before you even get near a publisher. You read it over, over, finding, you know, making sure that there's no typos, making sure that there's no wrong diktuk, making sure, of course, that all the svaris are good, that it makes sense, that the makairis are, are right. And then you give it to an editor, and then you give it to a, you know, to a professional editor, you give it to your friend, to your family, to anyone that has the ability to, to look it through, and then finally the day comes, you send it to the publisher and you say, okay, it's good to go. And then you wait and it comes back and you open the safer very, very, you know, it's, it's scary to open it. And as you're looking through it, you find one typo after another. And you wonder, how did that happen? Where did these typos creep in from? It's like, that's not the way I gave it. I, I, I must have seen this. But you didn't. I remember when I got married, I put out a sefer for, um, for the chasma. It was a Pirushan Zmiris in Hebrew. And I was very, it was good for me because it was, it was very, it kept me, you know, the whole engagement period. I wasn't, you know, some people go to Eretz during the engagement just to get away from all. This was my Ari Miklet. I was just completely into the sefer. I had to get it out to the printer and so the printer sent me a proof of the Sefer before it went. It was, this was a few days before the Chasna, and I remember I was driving to Long Beach for my Elfruf, and I was looking through while I was driving. You shouldn't try that at home. But while I was like by the stop signs and by the red lights, I was like looking. It just came hot off the press, and they were waiting for me to give them a you know, green light to, to start printing it. And I found that they knocked out a whole bracha of benching. Balak you know, till, till the bracha was complete. For some reason, the computer just kicked it out of the, out of the, out of the thing. And I slammed on the brakes, and there was no cell phones back then. I, I ran to a payphone. I said, stop the press. I always wanted to do that, you know. Like, and, and, uh, and, and they had to fix it in the last minute. And Baruch Hashem, I caught that one. But then, you know, the week of shower brachas, you know, I was like looking through it and I found like a lot of like little typos that maybe most people wouldn't even pick up on. But, you know, if you're the author, you pick up on it. And 
right off the bat, like the copyright page says, printed in the United States of America. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, who did that? How did that happen? It's not United States. And, like, and then people are going to think, you know, in my mind, people are going to think, oh, just like that's, you know, he, he doesn't know even how to say the country. How is he going to give a purish on benching? And, like, you know, this is what was going through my mind. And you find, like, these little typos. And every safer, it doesn't matter whether it's, you know, in Hebrew, the book, or whether Arts Girl publishes or whatever, it doesn't matter. There's always typos, there's always mistakes that creep in. So every author, knowing this, looks forward to one day. And that day is when you're able to print a second edition of the Sefer. Because the second edition, you get a chance to like, clean up all those typos and make it like as perfect as it could be. That's called a Madura Tinyana, Madura Basra. It's a second edition of, of the Sefer. That's like an author's dream. If it goes into like reprints, you know, then you could fix it up and you could change all the things that were really eating away at you. If you're, if you're yekish, it really, really kills you to have mistakes floating around in your safer. Finally, you know, you're able to reprint and you're able to fix every correction. Now it's the perfect safer. Rav said that a child is like that second edition of a safer. Because when you live your life, inevitably you make a lot of mistakes. Make a lot of mistakes. Human beings are prone to error and we make mistakes in our chinuch, or we make mistakes where we didn't take certain things seriously when we were growing up, or we, you know, we were maybe, you know, we let our Yitzhahara get the better of us in certain circumstances. We have a child, and the child, this child is something that we could look at as being able to correct all the things that we did wrong in our life, we could fix through this child. It's another chance, another opportunity that we have to correct all the wrongs that we did with ourselves and to make it right. I had a colleague, a very chashmatam and he was telling me that he was in Eretz Yisrael and he, was, uh, he has a very close friend who's a huge Tamachacham whose wife was Nifter, Nifter a few years ago and this is a man already in his, probably in his late 50s, early 60s and he got remarried to a younger woman I don't know, maybe a woman is in her 20, late 20s, early 30s, and they had a baby together. And this colleague of mine told me that he bumped into his friend, who's a, a, a huge Rosh Yeshiva, very, very tremendous Tamachacham, and he was wheeling a stroller with a baby in it. That, and he said, you know, he said, it's my baby, it's my new baby. And he wished to Mazel Tov, and he says, this Rosh Yeshiva says, this baby... This one I'm going to do right. This is going to be a baby. I'm going to mamish, like I'm going to drill into him Tyra and Yerushalayim and Chachma. This is like this is it. This baby is going to be it. Now I got it right. I lived a long life. I know right. I know wrong. I know Talmidim. I know I'm going to get it right with this baby. And that's 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 really the that should be the attitude of every parent. When you have a child, this is a baby. I'm not going to mess up this baby. I'm going to make sure that... By the way, when we're speaking about these issues, it's not to make it... I know that I'm making it sound like a parent has to be neurotic about a baby and like, you know, like, like push him and push him and pressure him to be like, like the superstar. That's not what we're saying. A baby, of course, of course, I, I think it goes without saying that 
when we're raising children, they have to be raised happy and normal and content and at peace, normal, happy children that could play ball, that could joke, that could laugh, that could have toys. That's not what we're saying. We're saying that the ambition, the ambition and the chinuch and the, and the, the sight should be so high in terms of the potential, seeing the beauty and the potential of the baby to elevate him to greatness that we perhaps didn't have in our own lives. With normalcy, but also at the same time being able to, to find the greatness within that child. And even if a parent himself is not, was not Zaycha to be great in his own way, but Chazal tell us that a person is jealous of everybody in the world except for two people, his son and his Talmud. Parents should never be jealous of a child. A parent should want the child to be greater than him. There are so many parents, you know, a parent's dream, not only Jewish parents, everybody, every parent wants their child to be, I didn't go to college, I want my child to go to college. I didn't, you know, I always wanted to be a doctor, I wasn't able to, I want my child to be a doctor. I want my child, does anyone to say, well, I only make $100,000 a year, my child, I don't want him to make any more than that. You want your child to be wealthier than you, to be more successful than you, to be happier than you, to have a better marriage than you. Every parent wants that for a child. And every rabbi wants that for a Talmud. And so a parent has to look at a child and say, I don't want you to be at all limited in your growth just because I was. I want you to be much better than me, bigger than me, greater than me. Don't settle for me. I'm not your role model in terms of shoot higher than me. I want you to be much greater than I. There's a story with the Beis HaLevi. The Beis HaLevi was once in a meeting with Rabbanim and, and community leaders when he was the Rav of Slutsk. He was the Maradaster in Slutsk before he went to Brisk. And, you know, we know he was the father of the dynasty, the Salvechik dynasty. But he was the Rav in Slutsk. And he had a meeting with, you know, the Chashub Ha'ir, and in the middle of the meeting, without even knocking, the butcher of the town, a grubber, a butcher, an amaretz, he pushes the door in and he rushes into the, the meeting and he creates like a big tumult and all the people say, get out of here, we're in the middle of the meeting and trying to throw him out. And the Beis HaLevi had a soft spot for every yid, regardless of his status. And he says, let's hear what the butcher has to say. And the butcher brings in his like little son, five, six-year-old son, and he was beaming with pride. He says, Rebbe, my other sons, they didn't turn out so good. They didn't learn. They, didn't, they don't daven. They're not trying to mitzvahs. I don't know, a terrible thing. This son, he's like the great white hope. He's, he's my whole future. I have such nachas for me. He's turning out so well so far. The Rabbeim say he's doing well. Could the Beis HaLevi maybe give him a faher? He just finished Chumash Barashas. Could he, do you have time maybe just to give him a faher, make sure that he knows it? And at this point, all the people in the room were like livid. Like, you know, we're important people. We have a, this is a meeting. We all have lives. We have other things to do. You know, wait your turn. After the meeting is over, the Beis HaLevi wants to give your son a faher. And the Beis HaLevi again quiets him, quiets everybody down. And he takes the boy and he, you know, he, he strokes his cheek and he sits him down and he starts asking him on Sukkim and Chumash and Rashi's and Ramban's maybe. And the child is really doing well. He knows his stuff. And the butcher is like beaming. 
He's just radiating nachas. And after the fire is over, the Beis HaLevi turns to the butcher and says, he did beautifully. And I want to tell you something. Halavai, that people should say about my son what they say about your son. That's a pretty big bracha for the Beis HaLevi. That's a, that's a nice thing to say. The Beis HaLevi's son was Reb Chaim Brisker. So, you know, halavai, that this butcher's son, they should say about my son what they say about you, your son? What's the shaykhus? Anyway, the butcher couldn't believe his luck. He got such a bracha from the Beis HaLevi, such a, such a shevach, and he walks out and he's like on cloud nine. And at this point, like, the Beis Halevi turns his attention to the people in the room and he says, first of all, I want you to know you acted really inappropriately. That's not, no way to treat this person as a butcher. He had so much tzaras in his life. All right, so he's sharing a couple of minutes of the meeting. We're, we have to do chesed with everybody. If a person's a nitzrach, a person has, a, has troubles, you have to give him your time and your attention and your love. And he says, this that you're probably wondering what I meant when I said that halavai, people should say about your son, about my son, what they say about your son, what I meant is as follows. He says, just like people are going to say about your son that he's better than his father in learning, the butcher knew nothing, but the son was a budding tamachacham, and people are going to say, wow, the butcher's son, he knows much more than his father, and that's a great shavah for the father, says, Halavai people should someday say that about me. That my son is greater than me. That would be like the greatest Shevach that I could ever have is knowing that my son, that I left over a son that was greater than me. Not that was like me, that was a little bit like me, like almost like me. Halavai should be heads and shoulders above me. That's what I want my son to be. That's the Sheif of a Yiddish parent. That's what we should hope for and pray for when we're thinking about our, cho- our future children or our children. You know, it's curious that we don't say this bracha on the day of the Milo. We don't say this bracha. I looked through the Siddur, no mention, I was thinking maybe by the Vachnach, you know, it was a minute the night before the Milo, which is also the Yemen de Mo'ota. You know, I guess they sing Hamalach. I don't know, maybe some people say. So I called... Rabbi Krohn, Pesach Krohn, who's like, you know, a very big male, he wrote a book for Arts Girl on Mila. I called him yesterday, and I asked him, you know, is this a minig at all? Do people say, do people keep this Targum Yenison? And he says, no. He says, maybe a few Svaradim do. He says, but we don't, we don't have this minig anymore to say, to say, I mean, you could say it on your own, if you know, if you think about it, it's not nothing, doesn't, not a bracha of Atala, it's just a bracha. But it's, there's no formal minig Yisrael, he, said, he told me, by Ashkenaz to say, But many of us do have a minig. Yekis for sure have the minig, maybe others, um, to say every Friday night when the father comes home from Shul and you say, Shalom Aleichem and Eshes Chayel. Then you bench your children, you say, the sons, you say, the daughters, you say, And I think everybody, has the minute to say it on Erev Yom Kippur. Even if you don't say it Friday night, you don't bench your child Friday night. But Erev Yom Kippur, you do. And there it's a more extensive bracha. 
And I think the pshat why Kla Yisrael at least has that as a minute to say then in these special occasions is because these are days that are we have clarity in our life. We don't have a virus. We don't have all the hustle bustle. If you take a child, let's say on a regular Tuesday, you know, at four four thirty in the afternoon, you you bench me simply. You can't. You don't know. You, you have no kavanah to say. You're busy with the world at large. You're busy with work. Your kids are busy with homework. It doesn't go. The bracha like kimat doesn't go. Friday night. Chazal tell us that when you say Vayichulu Friday night in shul and you walk home, there are two malachi asharis that escort a person and say the sara that the averis are away. You're sin free when you come home after davening in shul Friday night. You come home and you're like a newborn person. Everything is clean. Everything is fresh. You have a brand new start. You could see things with clarity, with purity. And then you take your child and you say, I see what the true ambition of a person is now. It's not to make money and it's not to run after this taiva and that taiva. What I want from you is, I really want you to be kefayim v'chemenasheh. When you have moments of clarity, Arab Yom Kippur, Friday night, moments that you're not bogged down with Gashmias and with things of the world, then you could see again what the Targum Yenison says was really ideally meant for the day of the Milah. When things are good and things are fine and things are fresh and you get a fresh, clean start and everything is new, which is what Yom Kippur is and what Shabbos is. It's a fresh, it's a new world then we can again come back to the bracha, the ambition that we have for our children. I remember my, my grandmother, Allah Shalom, I was very close to her, my mother's mother. And, you know, she was a Yekisha woman and, and she was doing what she was supposed to. Every time she saw me from when I was, uh, you know, teenager and on, she would always tell me, you know, that... What are you going to do when you grow up? You know, you're going to be a doctor, you're going to be a lawyer, you know, that's, that was part of that. You have to, that was the Messiah. Except for one time, the last time that I saw her was on the last day of her life, it was the second day of Hanukkah. It was actually the first day of Hanukkah, going into the, she was nifter the night of the second night of Hanukkah. And, and she was very sick, and I came to visit her. I didn't know that she was very sick, I, but I saw that she wasn't, she didn't have much longer to live. And, you know, we were schmoozing a little bit. She was very, very sick. And she told me one thing. She didn't mention anything about being a doctor, anything about being a lawyer. She just said one thing. She says, I want you to continue learning. Just keep on learning. Just keep learning. That's what she told me. Out of nowhere, like out of the blue. Because at moments, you know, when you see things clearly, then suddenly all the right words come out of your mouth. Whatever you're supposed to say, that's when it comes out. When things are clear. B'yayma dimahulta, b'lel Shabbos kaidesh, Erev yayma kippurim, when a person's about to go to the Elam HaEmes. When things are clear, then you see what you really should be in life, and what your children should be in life, and what's true in life, and what's not true. And a mother, for her part, whether she benches her child or not, by Lel Shabbos, 
as she lights the candles, after she lights the candles, with the Yeratzin, and it was made into a very beautiful song, V'zakeinu l'gadol bonim, uvnei bonim, we should be zaycheh, HaKadosh Baruch should give me the merit, the schus, to raise children and grandchildren, chachamim unabaynim, great sages, great people of perception. Ayave Hashem, people that love the Rabbani Shalom, Yirelikim, fearful of God. Anshe Emes, Zera Kaidesh, Bashem Devekim, very high madregas that a mother davens for on Friday night for her child. This is also the same thing, setting the goals as high as possible in Ruchnias. Not being Mistapik Bamuat, not settling for mediocrity for our children. We don't settle for mediocrity for ourselves either, of course. We can't, even if we feel that, you know, we got a late start in life, we're late bloomers, we didn't learn until we were much older, and, and we didn't get a chance to learn, or we didn't know about learning, we weren't interested in learning. So many, now, Leah today, you know, they go to Eretz Yisrael after high school, and they start steiging away, and they continue their Aliyah in an amazing way. That's because inside of them, they're benching themselves. They realize their potential is great and they still have, like Rabbi Akiva, he started at 40 years old to make that, it's never too late to aspire to greatness for ourselves and certainly to aspire greatness for our children. Children when they're young or children when they're older always have hope for them and invest in them the trust and the ambition of being great. I heard on Matzai Shabbos, I went to Mlava Malka and there was a speaker and he said over that he met a, a Holocaust survivor who went through Auschwitz and he went through the Shiva Madura Gehenim. You know, what, what the Jews had to endure in one day of Auschwitz, you know, hopefully never... Any of us should endure, you know, ever in our lives. One, one minute in Auschwitz was mamish. I don't know how they did it. I mamish, to this day, I cannot figure out for the life of me how any Yid was able to survive the concentration camps. Not even emotionally or, or, or spiritually, just physically. It was such impossible conditions to live under. And always the fear of being beaten, of death, of torture, with the Dr. Mengele, with all these, these great doctors running around with their, with their experiments and with the torturers and with the, and with the, the cyanide and the, and the zyklon. I don't know how people lived more than a day there without just dying of fear or dying of, of distress. And this person who seems he, he went through years of Auschwitz, he survived the war, and he went on to build up a family after the war and, and he became very wealthy, very successful and he was speaking to this person and he was saying the only way that I was able to get through that experience of Auschwitz was one thing kept on staying in my mind and that was that the warm feel of my father's hands resting upon my head as he benched me every Friday night is Simcha Lekim that's the only way that I was able to get through the experience. Because of this bracha that was given for my father to me, that's what got me through the war. 
That's what got me through the war. It's one of the great experiences of life. You know, I would say, I'm tempted to say that if it's not your minig, if you didn't grow up being benched by your father, I don't think there'd be either any Averis if you started it as a minig and Mitzvah Hashem yourself when you have children. There's nothing, I think, that could be nicer than benching your child on a Friday night. I remember, you know, one of the things that I long for since my father was nifter, is being being a bench Friday night or an Arab Yom Kippur. I remember my father would cry as he as I held the machzer for him that he could he could read the bracha, the long yiratzin after after nasha. There's nothing more beautiful than a father bestowing these brachas on his child, and it's a memory and it's a schus that lasts a lifetime. And it's this chus that your father has such hope and such trust in you that he believes that you could be great. You could be Ephraim and Menashe. You could be Moshe and Aaron. You could be Rabbi Akiva. You could be the Vilna Gaim. You could be anything you want. When you hear your father implicitly saying that in the bracha to you Friday night, that gives you such excitement about your potential. This is the schus. This is the schus that Yaakov Avinu said was going to be Klal Yisrael's in the future as they take their children and they bench them. Yisimcha lekim kafayim uchemenasha b'cha yevarech Yisrael leima yisimcha lekim kafayim uchemenasha. We all have the potential ourselves to be Ephraim and Menasha in our own way, and we have to utilize that potential. We have to think. How are we going to be great like them? How are we going to be able to nutz ice the kaiches of Meshra Abenu, like the Rambam says, that kal adam roi sadik And when, Amir Hashem, we have children, if we don't already, we should all have this ambition from the Yayma de and on to constantly inspire our children to be our Madura Basra. That even if we were not able to accomplish and we, we hit a certain ceiling and we stopped, we of course should push ourselves weiter, but our children, we should catapult them much, much higher than we ever could be. That's our job. And if we could do that, then have a wonderful shine.